Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name is Ellis Williams. We're recording this on a Thursday from our downtown Cleveland location. And man, do we have a lot to get into. Uh, just a few hours ago, the NFL upheld Miles Garrett's indefinite suspension. We'll break that down along with discussing some on-the-field stuff, I promise. Before we get into all that, let me introduce our guests, beat writers Mary Kay Cabot and Dan Lobby. My friends, how we doing? Doing well. <laughs> it's been a long, long week. I can't believe that Thursday night football is back on again tonight. Yep. And it was one week ago that this whole thing happened. Yep. A quick anniversary and a long day on top of it. So let's just get right into this. Uh, Mary Kay, you've been covering the NFL for a long time. Some could probably argue you've seen it all until this. Um, again, after a wild day, can you just break down the latest involving all this and what this means for the Browns? Well, so much has happened today. Uh, first and foremost, of course, the NFL handed down its ruling on Miles Garrett, and that was they upheld the indefinite suspension. It's a minimum of at least the last six games of this season and the playoffs. Uh, they also fined him an additional amount of a little bit over $42,000. At the same time, they reduced Marquise Pouncey's three-game suspension down to two. And as we know, the other day, they upheld Larry Ogunjobi's one-game suspension. So they continued to come down hard on the Browns. They eased up a little bit on the Steelers. So that you know that's the, uh, the overarching news, but there's a lot of stuff that goes along with that. Uh, Miles Garrett, it, the news broke today. ESPN first had the news that he argued in his appeal hearing that Mason Rudolph hurled a racial slur at him. Uh, then, as, as the day went along, the NFL came back and said they investigated that, and there was no such evidence that a racial slur took place. Uh, the evening continues to go along, and Miles Garrett tweets, I know what I heard. So he doubles down, confirms that he believes that Mason Rudolph uttered the racial slur, and then coming from Mason's side, he has vehemently denied it through the Steelers. He also said that yesterday, that he did not say anything to escalate this. And his lawyer, Tim Younger, called it blatantly false, this accusation, and said it was even worse than the on-field transgression. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. And you broke it down all for us right there and really how things developed in live action today. Uh, if you want life on the beat, she, uh, Mary Kay just gave it to you right there. Uh, Dan, I know there's a lot to get into revolving this, but just simply, how do you think the NFL handled this, is handling this? Uh, do you think they got it right involving just both suspensions? You know, we uh, discussed Marquis Pouncey's reduction. Just overall, how do you think the NFL handled this? Well, I, th I thought the Garrett suspension initially was a little excessive, the whole indefinite part of it. Uh, you know, obviously, he hit a guy with a helmet. We all understand you can't hit a guy with a helmet. But uh, to say that's an indefinite suspension seemed sort of excessive by the NFL. I, I kind of expected they might try and ex and uh, suspend him for the season. Uh, and then, of course, you know, with only six games left, that's an easy roundup for them. But uh, the indefinite thing where he has to, you know, kind of crawl back to the commissioner and, and show that he's remorseful for what happened in the offseason uh, seems pretty excessive for uh, for what happened. I, I think just saying, hey, you're done for the year, you're done for the playoffs, I think would have been enough uh, for what he did. And, of course, you know, this added element uh, that the NFL, you know, certainly couldn't prove you know, that makes it even, you know, 
it makes the suspension seem even a little more extreme. But uh, you know, I just I just thought using the indefinite the indefinite tag on the suspension was excessive. Another thing that happened uh, tonight that I forgot to mention is, uh, and I just posted a story about this very recently, is in trying to figure out how did the NFL determine that there was not uh, that there was no evidence showing that Mason Rudolph hurled this racial slur. Uh, I was able to find out that they used no, they had no recorded sound from the field. They didn't have uh, recordings from the mic'd up offensive linemen, which which would have been the Steelers offensive linemen, obviously, at that time. They had no camera sound. Uh, So basically, they went with the game official's report. There was uh, an official right on top of the situation. He didn't hear anything like that, according to the report. And also, they used camera angles to determine that nothing was said. Still, Miles uh, says, I know what I heard. So right now, it's just a matter of Miles versus Mason. He said he didn't say. Yeah, and from your reporting, it sounds like that's where this is going to remain for at least the foreseeable future with the NFL again stating that there was no access to audio of what happened. So just going forward, I want to ask you guys, is the NFL almost getting in its own way here? Dan, you mentioned how not giving it a definitive number means Miles needs to you know, revisit with the NFL and this will just come up again when that happens and then carrying into the offseason into next season. Um, obviously tomorrow we're going to keep talking about this, but is the NFL creating more problems for themselves, themselves by ruling this way, you think? I think they are just just because, you know, again, what's the point of having Miles Garrett come in and, and say, you know, OK, I'm, hey, I'm sorry this happened and, and trying to reiterate, um, you know, whatever it was, you know, trying to reiterate what he said in his appeal uh, that Mason Rudolph said. So, you know, I don't understand what the point is of, of making an indefinite suspension. It's six games, you know, plus any playoff games that the Browns happen to sneak into the playoffs. It's going to cost him over a million dollars in game checks. I think you can send your message with that sort of with that sort of thing, especially because we've seen suspensions for much worse. You know, Kareem Hunt got eight games. You know, that's going to end up being two more than Miles Garrett, assuming the Browns don't make the playoffs. So, you know, I, I just think the NFL, like you said, is making their life more difficult because this is all going to come up again in the off season whenever Miles Garrett goes to New York to meet with the commissioner. I think. One of the reasons why they wanted to do it this way is because, uh, as we heard the commissioner in an interview with New York's Gary Myers the day after uh, this game, basically said that in the offseason, what they want to do is they want to sit down with Miles. They want to see where he is from, you know, I guess from an anger management standpoint, where his head is at, and and really kind of have a conversation with him and maybe a program in place for him. Uh, so I think it was really that. I think it's a matter that they, of instead of just uh, you know having him serve some games and just come back into the league, uh, they wanted to get a handle on this. And they wanted to, uh, I think, also make a statement and, and let people know that they took this very, very seriously, uh, but also make him earn his way back onto the football field. What I find odd about all this is nothing changed in the ruling yet we are handling it like it's six games. You know, so we're, we're technically it's indefinite, but we're, we're handling operating as if it's six games, which is odd within the NFL itself. You know, why not just say six games? But what I want to ask is if 
do you think that Miles' appeal, trying to look at previous situations, was his best case? And how much of uh, optics with this being in prime time, you know, with it leading, you know, stuff like GMA, you know, Good Morning America, how much of that had to play into this? And does it feel uh, excessive just based on prior incidents the NFL has seen? I, I am curious what would happen if this happened at one o'clock on a, well, yeah. not, you know, at the end of a one o'clock game on a Sunday uh, when there's so many other things going on. But there's, like you said, this happened in prime time. It was Thursday night. It wasn't just a sports story. It was a news story. Uh, it was everywhere. And, and it's something that we're still talking about uh, for, for different reasons now. But even before what, what came out today uh, about the, the stuff about the racial slur, even before that, we were still talking about it a week after it happened. So I, I think that that was all part of it, that this happened in prime time. You had Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, you know, going all in on it. Uh, Mike Pereira. Uh, this was right in the spotlight. So the NFL had to come out and make a statement. And I think it's telling that they came out so quickly and issued those suspensions on Friday, you know, right. really within what, 12 hours of the incident happening, maybe yeah. a little longer than that. I don't remember the exact time. So I, I think that was a big, big part of it. And again, I think the difference between saying six games and saying indefinite suspension is uh, this opportunity to have to petition your way back into the league, to have to sit down with Roger Goodell and say, you know, here's what I did, why I did it, uh, here's how things are going to be different, and that I'm not going to ever let anything like this happen again, and then to set forth a program uh, to make sure uh, that this was just an isolated incident and that... Uh, that there will never be another outburst like this again from him. Yeah, Mary Kay, uh, building off what Dan said about this happening in a 1 p.m. slot, do you think that had a lot to do with it being primetime and all eyes on the NFL that night? Yeah, that may have had an influence. You're okay. right. All all eyes of the NFL uh, and, you know, the world. I mean, the NFL is global now, so this was huge. And, yes, I do absolutely think that, uh, that the – outrage the national outrage mm -hmm. over this had something to do with the harshness of the penalty yeah I, I wonder that I think look it'd be silly to say um, oh it's prime time it doesn't matter of course prime time matters that's why it's called a prime time game uh, but with social media today I, you know this would have made its rounds and you know then the racial slur thing comes out and I th still think this beast would have been brewing we'll never know what the prime time tag uh, how much it enhanced it and whatnot, but the optics of the play itself, you know, if you if you take the play off the field, like Dan said, and make it in a 1 p.m. slot, it's still just ugly. It is just it's a it's a bad looking play. It's a bad look for the league. Uh, this the the play that Miles Garrett referenced in his appeal uh, occurred what in 2013, I believe. You know, mm -hmm. so we're talking about a different NFL back then. You know, the the Dan, I remember you saying this. The hit Demarius Randall uh, was ejected for is probably a legal hit in 2013 NFL. So it's just, it, I think that's important to understand too, that this, this league is in a different spot and really had an, have an opportunity to make it an example of miles. Correct. Yeah. I, I think certainly this, this was to set an example. I, you know, this was definitely a, a way to say we're, we're not going to stand for this. Um, this isn't something that you can do in an NFL game. Uh, you know, the, the NFL has sort of had some issues with their uh, with their discipline. You know, I also right, think right. some of this, too, is 
kind of the aftermath of what happened. I, I mean, Miles hit him with the helmet and Mason Rudolph turned around and put his arms up. So obviously it didn't have any after effects. Had he knocked Mason Rudolph out? Sure. Then maybe we would have been talking about it a little bit differently in the, in the aftermath. That's a good point. You know, luckily for Miles and, and for Mason Rudolph, that didn't happen. Uh, so so maybe that's part of it too, is, is the visual in my mind is Mason Rudolph getting hit with a helmet and turning to the official, uh, you know. Like I said, I think the season is fine. I was a little surprised by the indefinite part of it. Uh, but, I, you know, the NFL made its statement. It's, uh, you know, it's it's something that most people have never seen before. And, you know, I just think that they they made a really harsh, strong statement that this can never be part of the game again and that players will be on the football field with ever, without ever having to worry about something like this again. And, you know, this is going to be talked about for years and years and years to come. And these two teams have to meet again on the field in 10 days. Can you believe that? And I think that is something that, yes, as soon as the Browns get through this Dolphins game, it's going to be all about having to meet again. And, you know, we talked to a lot of players in the locker room today. Tempers are going to be flaring. Now, Marquise Pouncey will not be in that game. Uh, the only one that was suspended that will be in that game will be Larry Ogunjobi. He only got one game. And then, of course, Mason Rudolph will be playing in that game. So, uh, you know, <laughs> Mason Rudolph, after, you know, all the Browns defenders are, are now have it in their head mm-hmm. that he hurled a racial slur at their teammate. So you've got that. Yep. And then you've got... The Pittsburgh Steelers, who feel that the Browns knocked two players out of the game. We don't yeah. know if those guys will be back in the game yet in uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson. Uh, those guys were knocked out of the game with helmet-to-helmet hits. And uh, there's just going to be a, a lot of emotion. I think there is going to be extra security at this game. Right. I think they're going to be watching it very, very closely. Uh they moved the game from 4 o'clock back up to 1 o'clock, so now it's a 1 o'clock game, but I still think that there is going to be a lot of attention on this game. Yeah, let's let's talk about the locker room a little bit. Something interesting happened today. Um, really, as the locker room was opening up, news broke of the whole racial slur incident, so we had the opportunity to ask players uh, as this news broke. Um, we all were kind of at different places. Can we just talk a little bit about who said what and what the Browns players as a whole were saying when they were learning about this, really, as we were? There wasn't a, a lot said, really. Sheldon Richardson was pretty strong on it. I, I think the thing that we kind of gathered is a lot of the players, at least when they spoke to us, didn't seem to know that this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, they seemed to, you know, Miles didn't tell them uh, or, or something. Now, again, that's when they're talking to us with microphones in their face and maybe, you know, they maybe they got the message before we got in there. I, I don't know. So that that was sort of the big takeaway for me, that, that for whatever reason, uh, the, a lot of the players, at least again, when they were talking to us and answering questions from us, uh, said that they had not heard about this and, and that they didn't know that, that uh, Miles was going to accuse Mason Rudolph of this or that Mason Rudolph said anything. Yeah, but I mean the the reigning uh, the reigning sentiment from both locker rooms today uh, over in Pittsburgh. I mean they were just completely one hundred percent supporting yeah. Mason Rudolph. Uh, they were upset to think that uh, 
after he got hit in the head with a helmet that now he's being accused of being a racist. And that created a lot of uh, emotion coming out of the Steelers locker room today. And then over in Cleveland, uh, you've got these guys really, really upset that Mason Rudolph would uh, allegedly do what Miles Garrett is accusing him of. And uh, it's it's just ratcheting, ratcheting up. I mean, I don't even know what what that game is going to be like, but it's 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 going to be something else. Yeah, yeah. It should be clear that even though players were saying they didn't necessarily know it happened, or Miles didn't say anything to them, they supported Miles and they right. said that they you know they don't see why Miles would lie about something like that. So it was it was supportive. I don't want to give the impression that that they were not supportive of their teammate. Uh, quickly before we take a, a short break, um, just your guys' thoughts on how. Freddie Kitchens is handling all this. Uh, maybe it's too soon to tell. There's obviously a game on Sunday. But just being in the locker room, talking with Freddie the handful of times we have, as a first-year coach, I mean, just more and more is getting put on his plate with this. You know, it's 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 comical almost. Um, how do you think he's handling this, and where does he go from here other than trying to win a game on Sunday? I think we're going to find out in the next two weeks how he's handling it. Right? I think so far he's sort of – you know, he hasn't really commented much on it other than to say that, that, you know, the team supports miles, you know, you can read between the lines on some stuff he said, but he hasn't really come out and and said anything specific. You know, we'll see, we'll see how this team holds together when they, you know, they've got Miami on Sunday. That's the kind of opponent you want in a situation like this. A a team that You should uh, be able to beat without too, too much effort. You would hope, uh, if you know if they lose that game, that's obviously a disaster. And then you know you got to go play Pittsburgh, and that's when it gets interesting. When you play this team again, you know how is Freddie going to have his team approach this? Uh, how is he going to make sure that everybody stays protected? It, it, it'll be that's really when we're going to find out uh, sort of how Freddie is holding this team together. I think. Yeah, I, I think he's done a good job of of trying to. To keep the focus. Now he he got what he asked for. He wanted some adversity for his football team. Uh, we'll all, talk about it, right? I mean, we have been hearing that from Freddie for a long, long time. What he has wanted to see is his team pulling together, not apart. And he has emphasized that a lot. And that's what they're going to have to do. I think it's great for the Cleveland Browns that they are playing the Miami Dolphins this week because the Miami Dolphins are not a good football team. Now, they have won two out of their last three, but they're just not a good team. Uh, the only way that they are going to beat the Browns is, is if this is such a distraction for, for the Cleveland Browns uh, that they just don't go out there and play well. Because this team, this Dolphins team, just there's just no way that they should beat the Browns. One thing about this Dolphins team is they're disciplined. They come, right. Brian Flores comes from uh, the Patriots' way, from, from Bill Belichick. They don't commit a lot of penalties. They don't make a lot of mistakes. Ryan Fitzpatrick has some experience in beating the Browns. He's 5-1 and one against the Browns. Uh, and there's a chance they could catch the Browns kind of off guard if they don't play a clean football game. That's the only way they'll be, beat them. Yeah, it's just there is a spot where this game could be troublesome, but you're right also, Dan, that the, the talent Miami features just shouldn't get in the way of Cleveland taking care of business. But, again, with this team, we never know. Quickly, I want to highlight uh, our colleague Hayden Grove put out uh, just kind of highlighting some of the, the things uh, Freddie Kitchens has dealt with. Uh, you know, going back to everything going on with Antonio Callaway, um, 
Baker Mayfield walking out of uh, an interview, you know, saying Jesus, Tony, uh, you know, all the way back to OBJ and the the choke gate, if you will, that feels like forever ago. Uh, and now we're dealing with all this Miles Garrett stuff. So if uh wasn't hard enough already for a first year head coach uh, on the field, we also have all this to deal with. So uh, we're going to take a quick break here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name's Ellis Williams, joined by Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. Before we get into your Football Insider questions, a quick reminder, you can sign up for Football Insider by visiting cleveland.com slash browns, clicking the blue banner. It's only $3.99 a month to sign up. That way you get your questions to Mary Kay, who then answers and gives you guys insight into the latest happening around the Cleveland Browns. Also, it includes a newsletter that we send out every week, which features exclusive Easter eggs and content that only you guys get. So again, Football Insider, subscribe for $3.99 a month by clicking the blue banner at the top of Cleveland Browns, or sorry, cleveland.com slash Browns. Our first question from Football Insider comes from, it's a group of questions, so bear with me here. Uh, area codes 419, 440, and the 216 essentially asking the same thing involving the indefinite suspension of Miles Garrett surrounding the CBA from the 419 asking, so the CBA does not matter at all, question mark. I guess it should say that indefinite suspensions aren't allowed unless you play for the Browns. Another one, 440. How is the suspension still indefinite? According to the CBA, they cannot do that. Can they, question mark? And lastly, 216. So the NFL can go against the CBA. Where is the union in this, question mark? Uh, contract is a contract it needs to be upheld in court if necessary a lot to unpack there but simply uh, Mary Kay from what you've gathered uh, can you steer some of our football insiders and really the Cleveland Browns fan as a community as to clearing up this murky situation going on between the indefinite suspension and the terminology inside the CBA it doesn't say anywhere in the CBA that you cannot indefinitely suspend a player for an on-field transgression such as this and if it happened, I mean, that's just enough right there. I mean, there's no way that the NFL is going to come out the next day and say, oops, we just read the CBA over again, and we found a line item in there that says, we can't do this. We made a big mistake. No, I mean, they know what they're doing. They know how to administer uh, the CBA. So this was never an issue. They haven't switched it up or changed anything. This was never written into the into the CBA. Yeah, there, there's... um. This sort of plays into the whole the league is out to get the Browns narrative <laughs> that I think people have developed o- over the season. I understand some of it, but uh, everybody, the league is not out to get the Cleveland Browns. Trust me, there are bad calls and bad decisions and, and in every NFL game. So uh, it's not just in game. It's not just this going after the uh, going after the Browns. This is a an issue that the, the NFL can suspend him indefinitely if they want to. And and that's what they did. So. Uh, I know that a lot of you out there want to say, oh, the league is out to get the Browns at every turn. This is certainly not one of those cases. Dan, we, we talked a little bit before we started recording of just watching how this took life on Twitter. Do you think this is just a, a good example of when things find footing on Twitter that don't actually have means? Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, tweets can get misinterpreted or, you know, tweets from from some people might not be completely clear on something. And I I think then, you know, then you get aggregation involved and people start to aggregate and and they don't necessarily do the research on their own to figure out what's going on. 
Um, and so then that information just kind of spreads like wildfire right. across Twitter. And, and again, like I said, there's already this narrative that the league kind of is out to get the Browns, I, I think, in some Browns fans' minds. And, I, you know, that all just adds up to this this kind of rumor taking taking hold. Yeah, and that's what if you go you go on Twitter and you just search even CBA, uh, you get a bunch of tweets from you know the, all the eggs out there just saying, oh, how can the NFL do this? Or oh, they're about to get sued, and you know people talking about federal lawsuits and all this type of stuff. Um, there's a safe bet that the NFL has their their tracks covered here. The CBA is out there. All you have to do is Google <laughs> NFL collective bargaining agreement, and there is a publicly available copy, I believe. Uh, that that's out there. So that means people have to read a. <laughs> if really you want to read document. hundreds of pages of about uh, meal allowances and things like that, uh, you'll eventually get to the the suspension rules. Yeah, it is amazing how that just yeah. took everyone by storm. That they were uh, somehow rewriting the rules of the CBA uh, to bend it. Uh, to how they wanted this to happen. I mean, that just that kind of stuff doesn't happen. I mean, now I will say with some of the drug stuff, uh, you know, as it related to Josh Gordon, it seemed like the rules didn't always exactly match up to what I was reading in the policy. But uh, but in this case, there is nothing that says you can't indefinitely suspend a player for this. Yeah, it's, it's not just the out to get the Browns narrative. It is the NFL doing this to themselves, too. I think there's an impression that the NFL makes it up as they go. And there's certainly things that support that idea at times. So that plays into it as well. The NFL not being great all the time at communicating and not being great at being consistent sort of plays into this. Yep. Um, our next question from the 914 comes from a, a concerned insider about Miles Garrett. A little longer question, bear with me. From the 914 asking, why has Miles' character changed so much this year after all these years? Does Kitchens slash Mayfield slash Dorsey, that trio, have anything to do with it? As in when they say, if you're not wearing orange and brown, you don't matter. Is he copying Baker or Freddie's disdain for anyone calling them out? Um, he ends by saying he or she ends by saying I'm truly distressed ab- about this and for miles your thoughts Mary Kay when you hear that you know I think that um, a couple things are at play here I think that uh, even I talked to Clyde Simmons at the uh, at the senior bowl last year and he repeated something that he had said during the last season he was his position coach the first couple of years and he continued to say that Miles needs to get more of that dog in him, yeah. uh, that he just needs to be more aggressive. And I think Miles really kind of took that to heart. Clyde Simmons wasn't the first person that said that. We heard that pre-draft from Warren Sapp and Booger McFarland that like he just didn't seem to have that, that edge to him that he really needed. And then the other thing is I think he really wanted to be NFL Defensive Player of the Year this year. And he wanted to win the sack title, and he has all these goals for himself. And I think that those things kind of, I think they kind of took over a little bit, and they meant so much to him. I actually think that at the end of this game, it was so important for him to get a sack, and I think he was frustrated by not being able to get a sack. On that same drive, even, you know, Larry Ogunjobi got a sack, Joe Schober got a sack, and he didn't get his sack, you know? And it's important if you want to win the sack title, you gotta, you've got to get like one a game. So it seemed to me that maybe he was a little frustrated by that. And, uh, and who knows now? Maybe he was frustrated because he was called a racial slur. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. We don't know for sure yet. 
uh, what happened on that. Uh, but I do think that, but that's the difference in Miles this year. He was trying to get more of that dog in him, and he was gunning really hard for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, I, I, I don't have much to add to that. I, I think you nailed a lot of it, and I think also, like you added, it's important to remember that if if Mason Rudolph did say something, if he did use a racial slur, that kind of changes the math on what happened too. And and I could you know you could certainly begin to justify why he reacted uh, like he reacted. Yeah, look, I have only been here at Cleveland.com for two months, so I can't speak to who Miles was when he was drafted, when he first got here, uh, compared to now. But what I can say is, uh, you know, Miles is a young guy. He, he'll be uh, 24, I believe, at the end of December. Um, and sometimes we just forget how young these athletes are, um, not, not validating uh, his actions by any means, but... I'm saying that uh, building off Mary Kay's point about trying to find that dog in him or reinventing himself, if you will, you know, these, these players are young men trying to grow into who they're going to be for the rest of their lives. And there's probably something to the fact that, you know, Miles Garrett is a guy who uh, was getting a, a soft label or something like that or needed more dog in him, as Mary Kay said. And he clearly took that to heart. And he's at that age where he's still malleable and can be formed and we probably witnessed that happen in live action uh and saw it climax on thursday with how things transpired um we have a ton of time to talk about this as miles garrett uh tries to get back on the field next year but very quickly um i want to ask you guys just your initial thoughts on what miles garrett's road to redemption may look like what what simply what needs to happen for him to uh, I don't know if he can ever, he probably can get back to the player he was, but more importantly, Mary Kay accomplish those goals. You listed the sack title and a defensive player of the year award. Well, I think those things are going to be the least of his concerns okay. right now. I think the most important thing uh, for miles Garrett is to uh, somehow try to repair his, his reputation and his good standing and all the, the great feelings that everybody has had about Miles Garrett leading up to that one moment. I think he needs to get back to some of that. I think he'll do that with, he'll probably do some national interviews. I think the fact that uh, now it, it, it's at least a possibility that he was called a racial slur, I think that in a lot of people's minds will not excuse what he did, mm -hmm. but explain it a little bit explain why he did what he did even though he still takes full responsibility for it i think some people will will understand wow i see why he was incited like that uh, so i think that will probably help his cause um i i think that you know it's just going to be a matter of him getting himself back on the football field however he can and so he'll have to concentrate on that in the off season. And he might have to, like I said, he might have to have to do some anger management or whatever it's going to take to appease the league. But those are his primary concerns right now. Yeah, I mean, this is going to follow him his whole career. It's always going to be part of his story. I don't yeah. know that it's going to define him necessarily because I think like you said, Ellis, he's really young. We'll see how long he, he plays this game. Um, if he gets a bunch of sacks and, you know, his teams win a bunch of games and he, he turns into this, you know, consistent defensive player of the year, I think this becomes not a footnote, but it becomes, you know, it's part of 
it's part of his story, but it's not necessarily the thing that defines, I don't think it's going to define his career, assuming something like this never happens again. Yeah, you know, you, you said it, Dan. He he has a long ways to go. This will likely always be part of his story. But if there's anything uh, sports fans love, it's a redemption arc, and he's now staring at that, um, which we'll probably have to start at the at next in the start of next season. So, uh, listen, it's been a long day. Um, special teams coordinator Mike Prefer talked in Berea uh, twelve hours ago. <laughs> as crazy as that mm-hmm. sounds. So we've been going at this for a while. So we're going to have a little shorter podcast for you guys today. Uh, Before we get out of here quickly, I just want to get a quick prediction. I don't need a score, but just overall thoughts on the Sunday game, what your gut's telling you, and where the Browns are going to end up uh, after Sunday. I got a pick and a score. There we go. Browns 27, Dolphins 13. It's not going to be that close. You know, it'll be a two-score game, but it's not going to feel like a two-score game. I haven't picked my score yet. It'll probably be something along those lines as well. I don't think the Browns are going to have any trouble beating the Dolphins, especially at home. I think this situation uh, is bringing them together. I think they're going to play with a lot of focus, and I think they'll win convincingly. Yeah, yeah, they need to. I mean, I'm sure the the excuse is now built in with all the distractions, but they sort of already used their one mulligan, if you will, in the Denver game, losing to a quarterback who – hasn't had a career start. So they need to take care of business here. I've got the Browns 31, Miami 3. So uh, we'll see how that goes. And we're going to wrap up here. It's been, again, a long day. So for Ellis Williams, Dan Lobby, and Mary Kay Cabot, we appreciate you guys listening. Take care, everyone.